Please join me, us in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us eyes to see the path you have given us, ears to hear your call for us to grow, and hearts impassioned with a desire to serve you in the faces of our neighbors and strangers. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Hear these words. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we continue our series, Everyday Epiphanies, How to Hope Again, we focus today on how can I see God in the everyday? Now, um, our scripture passage is about a wedding. Um, in fact, this particular scripture passage is the most recognizable um, uh, uh, miracle that Jesus does, at least the commentator that I read said so. Um, now, when you think about weddings, right? This is not a perfect wedding. They run out of, ran out of wine, right? Um, think back to the last wedding you went to, or the last wedding you paid for, or, <laughs> oh, gotcha on that one, huh? Or the last, uh, maybe your wedding. Um, think again about how perfect was it? The things that we think about when things are perfect with a wedding, right? Um, now, um, I, I do a number of weddings, right? Um, and I often ask uh, the couple, when you dream of the movie of your wedding, in that movie, what is the pastor wearing? Am I wearing a, a suit with a boutonniere? Am I wearing a robe with a stole? Or my favorite kind of weddings, am I wearing a Hawaiian shirt <laughs> in flip-flops on the beach? And the 
the bride will always tell me, right? This is important to me to kind of know how to think about how they view the wedding. Because let's be honest, when we start planning a wedding, I can do this thing in three to four sentences. I mean, it really doesn't take a whole lot. It's, it's do you? Do you? Good, you are. <laughs> but people tend to want a little bit more than four sentences. And so everybody has this kind of expectation around a perfect wedding. And I would tell you that a perfect wedding is not a perfect wedding. In fact, you want something to go wrong, just a little thing, because it creates the story of the event. For example, my wedding, um, uh, Amy and I, when we, were, we got married at First Methodist in Longview, Texas, um, the reception was in the basement, which was the Fellowship Hall at that time. If you've been there recently, there is a humongous family life center. We were not, you know, we were not privileged because uh, it hadn't been built yet. Um, but there we are in the basement of the church, and the thing that kind of wobbled and wasn't perfect was that the caterer misunderstood my mother-in-law's expectations for the reception and thought it would be okay to use paper uh, goods and plasticware. And if you've met my mother-in-law, <laughs> right? So about two hours before the wedding, uh, my mother-in-law figures this out and she calls her friends. And in the course of about an hour and a half, they get together all of their own personal china and silver and crystal. And it was a beautiful reception, not to mention the metaphor and imagery around the, her friends coming together to provide a party for Amy and I. Every wedding kind of has this little wrinkle. Can you, can you agree with me? There's a little wrinkle that comes along and it's not that it's not perfect, right? Bridezillas are completely wrong, right? You don't want everything to be perfect because then there's no story to tell. You want something to go just a little bit off. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you remember Tropical Storm Allison, right? Well, I, I was serving um, in a uh, church in Bel Air inside the loop. And, um, I, you know, I grew up half my life in Florida on the Atlantic coast. Um, if you wanted to intimidate me with a weather event, it needed to be more than a tropical storm, right? I mean, that barely will get you out of bed, right? That's not exciting. It needs to be a, a category one or two, or it really gets exciting with threes and fours. That's when you leave, right? Um, and so Tropical Storm Allison, whatever, I went to bed, I knew there'd be some rain, I wasn't worried about it. I get awakened at three in the morning, the phone rings, and it's the city manager for Bel Air. And he asked me, am I able to get to the church to open it as a Red Cross shelter? Now we had done all the training for Red Cross shelter, but we were always told we'd never be open because we were too close to the coast that they'd always be pushing people up north. And I said, yeah, I can, I can get to the church. And he says, okay, meet me there. And so I go outside the parsonage front door and I've got two steps and then it's a sidewalk that goes down to the street. And there is water from the bottom step all the way across the street to the other house's front door. There's no way I was getting to the church. And then interestingly, my phone rings again and I pick it up and it's the city manager. He says, you can't get out of your house, can you? And I said, yeah. And he, I said, how'd you know that? He says, it's the whole city. He says, I have a high water vehicle coming to get you. We still need your church open. 
Now, the little wrinkle in this story is that my best friend since grade school's little sister was getting married in the woodlands at two o'clock. And who was supposed to be the pastor at the wedding? And so I opened up the church for Red Cross Shelter. We got the volunteers there. Everything was going great. I found a high water vehicle to go back to my house. Um, and I began figuring out how in the world am I going to get north to the woodlands to be at a wedding in about four hours? Uh, the, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the only highways that were clear going outside of downtown, um, what we found was only the Hardy Toll Road. Um, and so we got up on the Hardy Toll Road, and it was the most um, surreal, dystopian, post-apocalyptic scene I'd ever been in, right? I mean, here we are driving on the Hardy Toll Road at like 30 miles an hour. And there are people from the surrounding neighborhoods because the, the toll road is built up right, right around the, um, uh, the railroad. Y'all are familiar if you've driven. Um, and they have pulled their belongings out of their houses. And they are sitting in the shoulder of Hardy Toll Road waiting for the waters to go down. I saw a woman who her family had pulled her hospital bed up onto the shoulder of Hardy Toll Road, and she was still sitting in it as we drove by at 30 miles an hour. It was the strangest experience of my life. When we get to the Woodlands, uh, it was at my home church, the Woodlands United Methodist Church. At, at, at the Woodlands United Methodist Church, they kind of pack you in for weddings. There's a 10, um, there's a, a, a 12, is that right? A two, no, 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 it's like 10, two, and six, there we go. And so I arrive and, um, and, I, and I can tell really quickly that there's no power at the church. Um, and I go inside and it's a little bit of a, um, you know, scavenger hunt to find the bride because you always greet the bride because you want the bride to quit stressing about whether you're going to show up on time. That's for all pastors, not just for me. And um, so I, uh, I, I greet her and she has tears uh, coming down her, her, her uh, face. She says, I thought you wouldn't be able to make it and it wouldn't be the perfect wedding without you. And I said, oh, whatever, it's going to be fine. The, you know, and I said, um, what else is going on? And she says, the florist is flooded out. She can't get here. There won't be any flowers. And I said, really, that's horrible. And she says, but God's really showed up because the, uh, the bride at 10 left her flowers for me. She says, it's going to be perfect. And I said, great. So there we were with no sound system, no media, no lights, no power, and a small uh, group of people who could get there gathered together for this wedding. And you know, it wasn't perfect, but it had the perfect story. And she'll remember that day for the rest of her life. I'll remember that day for the rest of my life. So this particular wedding that we're looking at at Cana in our scripture passage today, um, it has all the marks of a perfect wedding that goes south, right? Um, now, these days we celebrate weddings with receptions, but then also with honeymoons, right? Uh, in, in Jesus's day, you celebrated a wedding by after the wedding, you had a seven day feast at the groom's parents' house. How do you like that one? <laughs> Seven days, right? And our scripture passage starts on the third day, which I wonder, right, is this chronological? Like, um, you know, John is telling the story of a couple of miracles, and so on the first day, Jesus is this, on the second day, Jesus is that, and on the third day, Jesus goes to the wedding. Or is it um, on the third day of the seven-day party at the groom's family's house, right? Okay, that'd be different, right? When the wine runs out on the third day of a seven-day stint. 
Or is John being metaphorical here? And he says, on the third day, and those of you who are kind of biblical scholars, you know what happens on the third day? Jesus rises from the dead. Is this an Easter illusion that Jesus' signs and miracles show up for the Easter people, right? So on the third day, right? Um, uh, and this is interesting. So, so here we have the parties going on. Um, Mary, Jesus' mother, who's never named in the Gospel of John, interesting, um, hears that the wine is running out and she pulls Jesus. Now, Mary and Jesus are guests at the wedding. This is not his family, right? Not his circus, not his monkeys. Have you ever used that before, right? And, and his mother says, do something, which I think is proof positive that no matter how fancy and cool you are, your mama can still tell you what to do, right? <laughs> and Jesus says, woman, which I still think, if that was my mother, wow, bam, right? I mean, I mean, this is a great little story here, right? And so Jesus says, woman, is not my time. And, and, and we can talk about that in another day. But what Mary says is she looks at the servants and she says, listen to whatever he says and do it. And so uh, Jesus sees some ceremonial um, kind of water containers. They uh, hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. He says, fill those up, uh, bring them to me. And the water becomes wine. And the next thing we see is that the steward comes to the groom's parents and says, oh my goodness, you are so generous. You have waited, uh, you are still serving the good wine. Now, um, I grew up in a family that had kind of a pseudo-catering kind of experience. Remember, dad was Italian Catholic from New Jersey. Uh, and so we often joked about this um, in that, you know, Jesus' first job um, right out of synagogue school was, was catering. But, um, <laughs> and what, what the steward is saying to the bride's father is, you've held out the best for last. Most people, and I don't, I'm not going to tell you how I know this, but like most people at the party, they serve the good stuff first, and when people are a little tipsy, it goes, it goes well. Not well like as in not good, but well as in like your well drinks, but we can talk about that later, right? And so the steward knows that excellence has happened. Now notice that the groom doesn't go, what? Right? The, the groom's father doesn't go, huh? Right? The servants know where it came from. They know Jesus has turned the water into wine. And the steward knows something good has happened. What's interesting about this story is that there is this sign that points beyond, right? John likes to call his miracles signs. Um, now that seems strange, right? Um, John wants to say that miracles aren't just about bread and circus to entertain the masses, but rather it is about pointing on, pointing beyond yourself, revealing who Jesus is, getting people to understand who Jesus is and who God is and what is happening in the moment. And so this uh, uh, miracle at Cana at the wedding is a sign pointing on. Our sermon today is about how can I see God in the everyday? How can we see God in the everyday? I want to give you some pointers from this scripture passage about how you can see God in the everyday, how you can hope again, how epiphanies can be this moment of everyday aha moments that God has not left you and is still with you today. Now, the first one would be is to watch out for those third days. Right? I mean, I don't care whether it's chronological or metaphorical, however you want to interpret it, but there's something powerful about on the third day. 
You know, think about that Easter story, right? You expect a God who's created everything to be able to raise Jesus on the first day, right? And so sometimes we go to God with our prayers in that way, saying, all right, God, heal me now. Fix it now. Make the check show up now. How can I see God in the everyday? Be willing to wait for that third day. There's something powerful when we think about resurrection and transformation. Second is... um, how can we see God in the everyday? When the ordinary becomes extraordinary, start looking. Start watching for that moment. I, I know we like to think of ourselves as uh, very scientific, uh, very uh, intelligent people. We're not going to get suckered into this miracle idea. Maybe those biblical people just weren't really smart. They didn't understand math. Or, or maybe somebody put Welch's grape juice in those big containers and it fermented overnight. Who knows, right? But don't be looking to debunk the miracle. Instead, be watching for when the ordinary becomes extraordinary. You know, those uh, containers for water, they were there to satisfy a requirement for uh, religious ceremonies, for cleansing, right? I I like to think of those containers as containers of stale uh, water, just waiting for Jesus's a, a extraordinary abundance to show up. I don't know what you want to call it in your life. Maybe it is a spiritual rainy day fund. Maybe it's this hesitation to see the ordinary become extraordinary. But when you see it, don't debunk it. Give it credit because something exciting is happening. How can we see God in the everyday? It seems kind of obvious, but follow the signs. When the signs show up, pay attention to them. And so here, very particularly in this passage, right, the the miracle at Cana is a sign to point beyond. But what are the signs that you see in your life? You all know I love sunrises and sunsets. They could be signs for you, right? Think about all the ways in which signs have happened in the Bible. Be willing to follow the signs. And even more so, Uh, Those signs can be means of grace. John Wesley talked about this idea that God agrees to meet us in particular places and times, the instituted means of grace, in communion, in baptism, right? What happens when we gather at the table is an opportunity not just to have a taste of bread and a taste of grape juice, but to commune for a moment with God. Follow the signs. Push on. And I would say that... um, Also, uh, a way to find God in the everyday is to always push further. Just don't accept this, be more than the steward is, right? Notice that the steward knew that something extraordinary had happened, but he didn't question the source, didn't push further. I want you, when those coincidences happen, when that check shows up right when you need it, when the phone call and the networking for a job show up right when you need it, when the doctor's phone call comes and everyone told you that it was the last uh, hours and the last days and the last moment, that when that amazing deliverance shows up, don't just go, oh yeah, that's karma. I don't believe in karma. What we believe is in a powerful God who walks with us, who is our help in times of trouble, who also sits with us when we suffer. How can we see God in the everyday? Push past uh, the beauty and the deliverance and look for the source of what that deliverance is. 
Uh, you'll find on the back of the worship order, the tall piece of paper in your bulletin, um, uh, two questions. Uh, one of those questions is about transformation. I really think this metaphor of the water into wine has so many levels for us. Now, for some of us, we think transformation is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And so, therefore, I only have to see God on the day of the transformation, not anything else. But if you want to see God in the everyday, widen your expectations that transformation can happen in your life and other people's lives, not once in a lifetime, but every day. Now, that's the power of God's grace. That's the abundance of God's joy. And then the second question there is, where have you spotted God active in your day? This has been something that we have carried through for the last four or five years. It's part of those marks of discipleship, that opportunity to be paying attention that God's doing something. You're familiar with this recency effect idea, right? Like if you remember back to when, you know, you're carrying your first child and, um, you know, you, you saw um, car seats everywhere, right? You saw um, uh, babies and buggies everywhere, right? Everyone had the same kind of, you know, little diaper bag that you had, right? That when you start paying attention to it, you see it everywhere. Or when you got your first car, right? Everyone had that color and make of car. You saw it everywhere. It's not that once you got the car, God caused a number of cars to show up, but rather you started paying attention to it. So how can I see God in the everyday? when I start spending time spotting God active in my life. One of the ways that you could do that is using an old spiritual practice called the daily exam. And it comes from uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters, especially from Ignatius of Loyola. And it is the simple idea that at the end of the day, I'm going to pause and get still and think about the day. And I'm going to look for the moments where God showed up. I don't have to tell anybody. I don't have to write it down. I don't have to fill out a survey for it. All I got to do is acknowledge it. That examine prayer is a chance to see God in our everyday. Uh, there's a link there down at the bottom of that next step to take. If you're interested in more information about the examine, you can go to that link and learn a little bit more. I have to tell you, we're in a strange world where it seems like fear and anxiety and shame are everywhere. It's almost like every day we're showing up to a wedding that we feel like we need to make perfect. But what we've missed out on is that Jesus is attending, that Jesus is there, and that there's often that moment of ordinary into extraordinary. But we've been distracted. Our vision's been clogged by our fear. We're too worried about being perfect to see the excellence that God's already delivered. And so this week, I encourage you, try to spot God active in your life. If you want a recipe for how to hope again, the recipe is take that moment to follow the signs and to see where God's showing up already. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.